Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. All right, well, we're going to get into the Word today. I, I'm very, very, very um, uh, excited about today's message, um, and, and um, I feel like it's a very, very important message to preach to you, and the reason is is because we don't talk about what I'm going to talk about today very often. Um, I know you maybe hear it, Vince, but there's just a tiny ring. I know you're working hard at it, but um, if I need to switch, just tell me. What I'm going to talk to you about today is something that we don't often hear, specifically in, in, in our context very often, and that might be due to myself, but I also just don't think that we spend a lot of time talking about this topic. And what we've been talking about over the last, you know, this will be our eighth week in this series. We've still got, we've still got another, uh, I think, six weeks to go. And the reason I wanted to do this series was because this series of momentum, we wanted to talk about what that momentum looks like in our lives. How do we stir spiritual momentum? One of my greatest concerns for our church was is that once we settle into a permanent facility, that our spiritual engagement in the house of God will decrease because we got what we wanted. I was fearful, holy fear, that our church would begin to settle in and and lose momentum when we were seeing so much. And praise God, the momentum's continued, has not come without pushing forward and fighting in the spiritual realm for what God has for our church. It takes, requires momentum. And so we've talked about this extensively. So if, if by now you don't know what, the, what I'm, I'm not going to even spend time preaching on this because I've spent so much time, but we see that these things of devotion were what they were devoted to. They were devoted to the teachings of Jesus. We call those our groups in our church. And yes, they can happen through all sorts of contexts, but we primarily say, hey, join a group. This is where you are devoted to the fellowship of the church. They also share meals, and they do the Lord's Supper together. And lastly, they pray. They're gathered together in prayer and worship in the corporate gathering, also in the home gathering, and they do that together. These are the things that generate devotion in your life, or generate momentum, rather, in your life. These are the things that generate spiritual activity. Dr. Luke wrote this verse after talking about a great move of God where 3,000 people came to Christ. They didn't know how to do church, and this is what they came up with. Devote yourself to these three or four things and there will be spiritual momentum in your life. Will you always enjoy it? No. Will you always want to do it? No. Will it be other things that come up in your life? Yes. Will it be busy at times? Yes. But these devotions, I just want to say it again out of love for you. Devote yourself to these things and you will experience what it feels like to be planted in a house of God. And the Bible promises you that there will be blessing in your life. And we talked about all sorts of things, but I want you to notice something. That, that we were, this scripture in Acts 2, 42. We see it here, we recognize it. But then the next verse that Dr. Luke wrote about. Now, the NIV translation uses the word then. Everyone say then. then. So I'm not gonna read the NIV. We're gonna read a lot of New King James Version today for those of you who love the New King James Version. Hallelujah. So they used the word then. The NIV said then. So they devoted themselves to these things and then, then. Then this happened. Then this is what was next. Then this is what happened in the church. Now, the New King James Version, actually, I'm going to read the New King James Version, but this one is the New American Standard Bible, for those of you who like that one, which is, I think, the most literal of any translation, if you're wondering. Uh, Acts 2.43 says this. This is the next verse. Everyone kept feeling a deep sense of awe. 
And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. The very first thing we see in the church after the people begin to devote themselves to the teachings of Jesus, to being in community no matter what, to breaking bread together, to, to, to eating meals together, to the corporate gathering, to the, the, the individual gathering and group. When they committed themselves to these things, the first thing that happened is that everyone felt a deep sense of awe. Now, the, 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 the word, the New King James Version actually says it, I think, better than this. Look what it says. Here it is. Then fear came upon every soul. Fear. Now, this is a fascinating word. In, in the Greek, this word is phobos. It's actually where we get the English word phobia. This word, literally, in the Greek, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you, I'm just going to tell you it like it is, means dread. It means terror. It means that which strikes terror and dread and fear in someone. I don't know what else to tell you, and I would love to make it mean something else, but that's exactly what it means. That when the people of God devoted themselves to these things in Scripture, an intense dread and fear of God came over every follower of Jesus Christ and those who came in contact with the house of God. Now let's read it again through that context. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every one of them. This idea of, of fear, fearing God, is something we don't talk about very often in church because we want to see God from a different vantage point. And this reality is, is, that, is that fear is all throughout the scripture. And I'm going to show you this today. We're just going to do a little investigation around this idea of fearing God. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, you've not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did on Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible, they begged God to stop speaking. A group of Oh, that was it on that verse, sorry. <laughs> I thought that, uh, uh, there actually is more, but I don't know why it's not in my notes. So I'm going to keep reading it, but it won't be on the screen. For, uh, uh, they staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and I am trembling. We see this idea of fear all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, when we think about being uh, fearful of God in this way, we often only think of the Old Testament. But did you know that we see this actually all throughout the book of Acts? And Dr. Luke made sure that we understood that this was in the New Testament. Look what he says here in Acts chapter 19. We're just, I could tell you the story, but I want you to read it for yourself in the Bible and say, wow, that's in the Bible? Yes, Acts chapter 19. A group of Jews were, was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. And they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in the, in the incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. And seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time they tried it, and the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house. They were naked, and they were battered. Look what it says. And the story of what happened spread quickly throughout all of Ephesus, the Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended upon the entire city. 
And the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. And many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. See, the curtain of the natural world was pulled back and they experienced a supernatural reality that they could not understand in the natural world. Something happened in their lives where this fear was now I'm seeing something that I did not see in the natural realm, something that I did not understand, something that I did not, did not comprehend. Now I look upon the world and I look upon around me and I see that when God comes in upon the scene, something supernatural happens in our midst. This outer worldly reality is revealed and the first response is dread and terror. We see that the result of this, you notice? The result of God coming down and this crazy spiritual activity where people were casting out demons and one person tried to use the authority of Jesus in the name of Paul and the demon said, I don't, you do not carry that anointing. Don't even try and they got beat up and it scared the city. Look what happened though. Jesus was magnified. Salvation of the lost. Look, a number of them uh, who have been practicing sorcery in the scripture. Look at this. They brought their incantation books and burned them at the public bonfire and the value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. So the message about the Lord spread widely, and I just thought it was so good, I'd put it in there twice, had a powerful effect. We see salvation of the lost. We see Jesus was magnified. We see conviction for sin. These people in these, these environments had horoscope books and demonic books on how to do spells. And they said, oh my gosh, this God is real. This God is alive and active. And they took their horoscope books and they took their, 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 their demonic spells books and they threw them in the fire and burned them and they turned their lives to Jesus Christ. And the word of God spread mightily through the city. How? Through a revelation of God, through fear and dread, saying this is not just a cute little God that I come to church and worship this is a mighty, powerful reality of the supernatural wondering God. The author of Luke uses this same scripture in his gospel. He says this, soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of, of, of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate, and the young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. And when the Lord saw her, the heart, her, his heart over, over, was overflowed with compassion. He says, don't cry. Then he walked over to the coffin, and he touched the coffin, and the bearers stopped. He said, young man, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy, that's a crazy funeral. The dead boy sat up in the coffin and began to talk. I mean, it's one thing to sit up. It's another thing to talk. Like, don't do that. That's gross. It's crazy. You're sitting up. Now you're talking. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd. And they praised God saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people today. See, for today for most people, including most professing Christians, God is an idea to talk about. God is an inference or an argument. God is a family tradition to be preserved, but very few people in the body of Christ recognize that God as a stark, fearsome, stunning, awesome, shocking, present reality. For a few, 
There is a deep trembling when it comes to the living God entering the very presence of God. When is the last time you experienced this type of fear and awe and wonder that came upon your soul and your life when you even considered being in the very presence of this living, holy God? What was this fear? Now, I want to just take a little side note. Now, in our world today, we deal with a message uh, in our culture today of do-goodism, where you've got to do good to please God. We live in a world today that, that is works-driven. We live in a world today that says God's an angry God. I want you to know right now, as I'm going to end on our time today, I'm not uh, in, insinuating that, that God is going to smack you upside the head and hit you with a hammer every time you make a wrong move. Now, you need to stay with me here because it would be easy for you to check out and say, oh, this is a, 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 judge, a judgmental gospel. I want you to understand something, that this is of utmost importance for your walk with Christ. We see in the scripture, this is a holy fear. Look at this in 1 Peter 1.17. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom uh, you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. He makes mention here, he says, listen, remember, God doesn't show favorites. Remember that he's going to a judge, he's going to reward or judge according to your life and your choices. Remember that you're just a temporary resident here, that life is short and we live for eternity. He says, but, but so, because of this, because you have this in your mind, live here in reverent fear. Look what the New King James Version says. And conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Live in a state of fear, recognizing God is going to judge or reward me based upon my life choices. We don't hear that very often. You say, what do you mean? Do I, is he, you know, does he, is it all by works? And is that going to keep you from getting, no, no, no. By faith, you experience heaven. By faith, you will spend an eternity in heaven. But one day, Christ will return for the new heaven and the new earth. And we will say, did you live in fear? And did you conduct your life in a way that made my kingdom primary and live in such a state of fear, knowing that I am not only a loving God, but I am a holy God. Look what it says in Ecclesiastes. When all has been heard, this was Solomon said, the wisest man on the planet. This was his conclusion about life. This was his final statement about what to do in life. He did everything and tried everything. He says, when all has been heard, the end of the matter is this, fear God. Worship him with an awe-filled reverence, knowing that he is almighty God and keep his commandments for this applies to every person. And then he finishes, for God will bring every act to judgment every hidden and secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. We have to walk knowing that, yes, our God isn't impervious or ignore the fact that our lives matter to God, that our lives and the decisions we make and how we live our life, it absolutely matters to the living God. He looks at us and he says, are you walking in the fear of God? Lord. Now, Dr. Luke wrote of an account, and this is a heavy account. We're going to look at this in a couple of weeks and dissect it a little bit, but I wanted just to keep on this narrative of the idea that the fear of the Lord, this idea that God is a holy God, he's a loving God, but he's also a holy God, was, was present in the early church. Acts chapter 5, a man 
named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So here they are in a worship service. And Ananias comes forward and says, hey, lays down the, the, the offering. I'm going to give an offering today. I think you probably should just put it in the offering. I'm not told anybody, but whatever. I want everyone to see it. And then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you, re- that you, that you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. He says, listen, it was your money. Why did you lie about it? Did you think it didn't matter? And then it says this. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. This is in the New Testament. This is in a local church just like ours. This is an Old Testament. Angry God or wrathful God as some might see him. This is in the New Testament. This is after Jesus Jesus rose from the dead. This is when the Holy Spirit came down. And it says, look, great fear seized all who heard what happened. And then he continues. Some young man got up, wrapped him in his sheet, took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, what was the price you paid your husband? Was this the price you paid? She says, yes, that was the price. Peter said, how could this be? Two of you even think you could inspire to test the spirit of the Lord like this. The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they're going to carry you out too. And instantly, she fell to the floor and died. New Testament, church, local church. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. And when the young men carried out and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear gripped the entire church. And everyone else who had heard what had happened It's important. I know this is a heavy thought today, but I felt the Lord say, Ryan, I know this is going to be hard, but you've got to preach this. And the reason you've got to preach this, Ryan, is because on the other side of the holy fear gripping the church is a move of God. On the other side of fear is miracles. On the other side of fear is transformation. On the other side of fear is revival. Fear gripped the church knowing that my life matters to God. And my decisions that I make in life, they matter. My commitment to God's house matters. My commitment to Jesus matters. How I spend my money matters. What I look at matters. How I live my life matters. It's not just frivolous and he's just going to forgive me, which he will, but he's a holy God. We have to remember that God absolutely rewards and judges. He rewards or he judges, and it causes a great fear among the house of God to say, Lord, we just want to honor you and please you. Why? Yes, you're loving, but because you're holy. Our society today wants a loving God, wants a God who permits all lifestyles and all ways of thinking and all ways of living. He's a loving God. Love is love. He's a loving God. He's a loving God, but he's also a holy God. He's loving, and he's caring, and he's gentle, and he's redemptive. Did you know it says in the, in the book of John, 1 John 4, 8, the one who does not love has not become acquainted with God. It says, listen, if, if you don't love, you, you've never even met God because God is a God of love. For God is love, look what it says. He's the original of love, and it's an enduring attribute of his nature. This here says, man, God is love. Amen. I want you to recognize something about this verse. Do you know that this is only one of two times in all of the Bible that God is called love? Now, it doesn't change the fact that that's his nature. It doesn't change the fact that God loves you and that he cares for you 
and that he wants a life with you, and that he wants to transform you, and that he wants to redeem you, and that he wants to just do miracles in your life. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that, that he was so passionate that he came to the cross and died for you, that you were the focus of his death, that you were the focus. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to die on behalf of you because you and I were unrighteous, and you and I were full of sin, and we needed redemption, and we needed forgiveness in order to spend an eternity with Christ forever and live an abundant life now we needed God to love us so much that he said to son God loves us he cares for you he's committed and passionate about his love for you he will chase you time and time again even when you're in a state in a place of sin God loves you and he's there for you and he cares for you he wants to have a relationship with you but did you know that God is also holy did you know that in the Bible he's called holy over 400 times Look at the scripture in Revelations 4. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. So just imagine these, these, these angels with six wings. You know, all the angels with two wings are very jealous of these guys because they're very quick, quick flyers. And, and these guys would, 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 would circle around and, and then they had, you know, eyes all around them. So, you know, you'd walk up to these guys and be like, what are you staring at? I'm like, I just have eyes everywhere. Leave me alone, you know. These guys would, six wings and covered with eyes. And, and what they did was is they, day and night, they were in the throne of God. They were the closest ones to, the, to God himself. And they were in the very throne of God. And what they were doing is they were, they were going around. The wings served as like this panoramic view of God where they were capturing every aspect of God. And the, and, and, and the, and the, 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 the eyes, the, the eyes would serve to capture everything that happened. And they were constantly taking in the glory of God and the reality of God. And every aspect, in every moment, they were watching it. They were watching the very throne of God. These individuals were the closest to God. And the word they used to describe this living, eternal God was holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come perpetually and constantly declaring a holy, 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 holy Father, holy Jesus, holy Spirit for the triune God. Holy, holy, holy. One word they used to articulate God. It wasn't love, love, love. Or grace, grace, grace. Or forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. It was holy, holy, holy. This was the perspective of these angels that when you ask them, if you were to go up to them and say, well, how would you describe God? And they say, well, I think we're the authority on the matter. We are the closest ones to God. And our description of him is holy. Why does it feel that the opposite in some of our theology? Why does it feel like that in our walk with God, our songs and the way we talk and the way we act, that we, that we, we, we are more, more focused on the love of God and forget completely about the fear of a holy God? God is love. God demonstrated what his love was all about by dying on the cross for you and for me, but it is a holy love. See, God's holiness, it requires a certain way to live for him. Proverbs 8.13, the reverent fear and worshipful awe of the Lord includes the hatred of evil. It includes the hatred of pride, the hatred of arrogance, the hatred of evil way, 
and, and a perverted mouth. This, the author says, I hate it. Why? Because I live in reverent fear and worshipful awe of the Lord. Hebrews 11, 28, 12, 12, 28 says this. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Look at this. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and fear. When's the last time you came into the house of God and positioned yourself, worshiping the Lord out of reverence and fear? Not, you know, I don't really like this song. Or man, I had a really bad day today, so I'm just gonna stand here and just like, you know, just chill out. I really feel it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and who was and is and is to come. We have lost the holiness of God in our church. If we only make it about the love of God, we will allow people to, to, to accept the reality of a God that is beautiful, but we think, oh, he just accepts me for who I am. Yes, he does, but he also is a holy God and requires transformation in our lives. It says we need to worship him with reverence and awe. Look what it says. I didn't finish the sentence. I didn't finish the verse. Look what it says. For our God is a consuming fire. You know, this scripture was taken from the book of Exodus or Deuteronomy when Moses had, the Moses, the, one of the greatest prophets of God was told, I want you to go out to the people of God and I want you to speak to the rock and you're gonna bring forth water from the rock, rock from your words. And he took his staff and he relied upon his own ability and he tapped the rock and water came out of it and God did a mighty miracle. But he turned to Moses and he said this, he said, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me, look at this, and you did not uphold me as holy, you shall not bring the assembly into the land that I've given them. And so later on, Moses was writing to the people of Israel and said, hey guys, listen, I want you to know from my personal mistakes and my perspective of God, that as you go into this next season, as you go into the promised land, I need you to know something. Look what, look what he says. He says, so be careful not to break the covenant of the Lord your God that you've made. Do not make idols of any shape or form, for the Lord your God has forbidden this. The Lord your God is a devouring fire, and he is a jealous God. He wants your heart. He wants your life. He wants all your attention. He wants all your money. He wants everything. He's jealous for your attention. He's jealous for your affection. He's jealous for every aspect of your life. He is a consuming fire. And he wants to have a relationship with you because he loves you and he cares for you. But he's also a mighty and a holy God. We are missing this I am scared element in our understanding of God. But what we see is the cross. And the cross of Jesus is a convergence of his love for us, passion of God, to die for you despite the fact that you and I do not deserve it. He's so passionate for you. He's so chasing after you and loves you that he chose to go through the most brutal, ridiculous death on your behalf. We have the love of God, but he also has the convergence of the holiness of God. Why? Because God's love is holy. What's the point of all this holiness? What's the point of God being a holy God in our lives? We see that it says very, very clearly in 1 Peter, so you must live as, as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you is holy. For scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. 
see, what happens is, is that when you begin to stand in a reverent fear of God, guess what God does? He begins to make you holy. You begin to live a life that says, okay, God, I'm not going to look at this thing or do this thing or act this way or behave this way. I'm not going to wane in my commitment to you. Why? Because, God, I recognize that, yes, you love me and you accept me, but you are also a holy God. And there I will have to take account for this choice. I'll either be rewarded or I'll be judged. That's the reality of the Bible. And I know we don't like it. And I know we want to erase it. I know we want to go listen to another YouTube channel that says everything different. But that is the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He loves you. But he also came to redeem you of your sin. To make you holy. To look like Christ looked. So we end our time today. I want to read you one more scripture. It's in Isaiah chapter 6. And what happened in the scripture is that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was a, was a, a holy man of God that in the end of his life began to become disobedient towards God, he ended up dying of leprosy. <laughs> it's terrible. And he says this. Look what he says. In the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the temple was filled with his glory. Hovering about him were mighty six-winged angels of fire with two of their wings. They covered their faces with two others. They covered their feet and with two they flew. And in a great antiphonal chorus, they sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Isaiah is having an experience with God. He is absolutely in the very presence of God. Look at his response. Such singing it was. It shook the temple to its foundations and suddenly the entire sanctuary was filled with smoke. And then I said, my doom is sealed. I'm a foul-mouthed sinner, a member of a sinful, foul-mouthed race. And I've looked upon the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. I've been in, in his presence. And then one of the mighty angels flew over to the altar with a pair of tongs and picked out a burning coal. And he touched my lips and he said, now you are pronounced not guilty. Because this coal touched your lips. Your sins are all forgiven. Therefore, Hebrews 10, 19 says, Brethren, since we have a confidence to enter the God's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus, when you and I come into the atmosphere of God, we are more than willing to accept the fact that God loves us, but we need to start recognizing that he's a holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I am a sinner, but by grace, I only am here today because of the very love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And God reminds me, Ryan, you are pronounced not guilty. Listen, you can only experience the love of God if you recognize the holiness of God. Or else he just becomes a trinket God on our list of gods on the shelf of our life. And we say, okay, today I'm going to play with this one. No, he's holy. When we stop and repent of our way of seeing God, guess what happens? He transforms you. He changes your heart. He changes your mind. He changes your lives. When you will begin to revere God and honor God and see God as he is, as a holy God who loves you passionately, something begins to transform in your life. Great fear will grip the entire church. There will be miracles and there will be signs and wonders and there will be people added to the house of God and your life will be transformed. You will be made holy like he is holy. 
I want you to stand to your feet this morning. And if you can, just take a moment. Just close your eyes for a minute. Just in the... Let's just refocus for a minute, just for a few seconds. Every eye closed in this place. I recognize this was a heavy message today. But I believe that this message and this heart and this perspective of God will transform our church and your life. So come on, you're here today. I'm gonna pray for you. You're here today and you are um, not seeing God in this way. Maybe you struggle with seeing God as a holy God. And today, as we've talked about this thing, you recognize, wow, I am a sinner. (laughs) I need the grace of Jesus Christ in my life. I just want to pray for you. You say today, Ryan, I just need a fresh start with the Lord. I want to make a declaration today, a fresh declaration to God today. And I'm going to make a, a, a new start with him, a, a new perspective, a new journey. Well, there be eye closed. You're in the room. You say, Ryan, that's just me. I just want to have a fresh start today. I'm going to start afresh and start anew. Just put your hand in the air real quick so I can see it. Come on. Father, I just pray for these hands today, Lord, and those in the room who don't know you or those who are far from you. You are a loving and faithful and generous God. You are good. But Lord, you are so good because you are holy. So we take a moment, Father, before we just sing this part of this song to end our time. We say, Father, thank you for your grace that we can come boldly into your presence because you are a holy God who fight, fought for our unrighteousness. Let us never forget what you've done and let us never take you for granted. We love you. We want to say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's just sing this song together. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.